Welcome to Tuesdays with Andrea. It's the inspiration station for everyday people guiding humanity forward. I'm your host, Andrea Rios McMillan, and every week I pursue conversations that matter with people who can relate to the common struggles we all face. You'll get to know the person behind the profession and find commonality with people of all ages, cultures, and backgrounds. Listen as friends, neighbors, and coworkers offer meaningful, personal explorations of modern life and the values we hold dear, all for the purpose of strengthening and uplifting others. Hi, everyone. This is Andrea with Tuesdays with Andrea podcast. And I just wanted to take a moment to address what's going on with Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, talk about uh, what's on my mind. Black Lives Matter, period. George Floyd was a man who died while crying out to his mom after using a $20 fake bill. This is real. And I'm tired of having to explain it to people who don't believe it. Black people are tired of having to explain it to people who don't want to believe it exists. The fact is, there are people in power who are protected. People in power who commit crimes, wrong crimes, who are protected. This is what we call a system that protects racism, that promotes injustice. There are institutions that are oppressive and neglectful of black people and brown people. But right now we're talking about black people. And so for some organizations that feel like this is a campaign, that the rioting, that the looting is out of hand, who are more focused on that than talking about the fact that a black man died crying out to his mother. My boys, I have three boys, black and Mexican boys. My husband is black. I read this uh, Facebook post. There was this white woman who, she has a black son. And she posted his picture, about 18 years old. And she said, if this was my son who died in that way, I wouldn't stop until I brought all of those people to justice, until I received justice. I would organize, I would burn everything down. If my son died that way, I think most of us would say the same. But even though we see that this man died unnecessarily and we're still focusing on what they shouldn't do and what shouldn't be happening, how they should grieve, I get it. I get it. Black people, I get it. Now, I recognize I pass as white. I'm Mexican. I'm American Mexican. So I'm born here. My parents were born here. My grandparents were born here. I think my great-grandparents were not born here, but story for another day. But I pass as white. I am privileged still. I can walk around. I can go to the store. I can um, drive anywhere. And I'm not scared. My husband doesn't say the same thing. 
and were pulled over by pop police, he's scared. I'm not. We uh, went to a funeral in Texas, I think, two years ago. And we rented a lake house. It was near the, the, you know, somewhere near the facilities. And him and my son went to go get some bait. And they were, you know, just trying to do a, a Yelp search of bait shops around the area. And they found two. And they went to both and they came back with nothing. Both were open. But what they saw was Confederate flags on both of the stores. And they're like, nope, nope, we're not going in there. And they came back and we fished with what we had because they were scared. Even at work, in college. If we're driving out of town to a rural town for a football game, he's aware, he's alert keenly alert on the color of his skin actually you know what i want to call this this title of this uh conversation is going to be called i see white people because me andrea i see white people i know we try to teach our kids that color doesn't exist but i really don't understand that i really don't understand why we want to teach that to our kids because the reality is I see color. Everywhere I go, I see if you're black, I see if you're white, I see if you're Mexican, I see if you're Indian, I see if you're Asian. I see color. And I come, my stepdad, who I call dad, he's not my stepdad, he's my dad. Um, I say that for you guys to understand the relation, but he's my dad. He's Asian. My brothers and sisters, Asian. My husband's black. We're different colors and I am aware of it all. I don't see the problem with with saying that because it's true. I remember having this conversation a few years back. Remember that movie with Joel Osmond who uh he it was directed by Shyamalan and he's like I see dead people. Remember that? I see white people. And I don't necessarily see them as bad actually all my life I've been helped by white people I've been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity by white people white people have been so kind so helpful so amazing to my family growing up so I I don't see it as a bad but I'm aware I am aware because I know as a minority I know as an American Mexican right away that there is still a difference. And I think if we trained our kids to recognize those natural biases, we'd all be better for it, actually. If we trained in our workplaces to recognize those unconscious biases, that would be a good thing, not a bad thing. Because I think to say, I don't see color, I think what we're trying to say with that is color shouldn't matter based off of how I treat you. And that's true. That is what we ultimately want to promote. Color shouldn't matter. But I'm aware of it. My husband's aware of it. But his sensitivity is different. Now, we both went to white colleges. We both live in a affluent area predominantly white. We both work in predominantly white jobs. Does that mean that 
We don't like white people. Does that mean we love white people? It means, I don't know what that means. We like the house. We bought the house in the neighborhood. It had a good school district. Our works hired us. Our coworkers happened to be white. I wish there were more minorities. But the truth is I see color and my husband sees color. And police officers, I think, sometimes think in these situations, they see color. We've seen examples of it all over the news these last two, three weeks and more if we're really paying attention. Everybody's been emotionally triggered, forced to reconcile their own beliefs and values, have to deal with the reality of destruction, the reality and the devastation that racism causes. Now, whether or not George Floyd was killed because he was black, I don't know. But I know he was killed and he shouldn't have been. And I thank God that for the most part, there was national outrage when he died. There was an almost a universal um, degree of agreement. There wasn't anyone who said he shouldn't have died. And for that, I think we've made a lot of progress. We've made a lot of 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 room there and even seeing white people black people of all colors join in unity to go and march and protest is a beautiful thing i mean it's fantastic but people still had to die and that's what we don't want The truth is, is that as a nation, we haven't reconciled our full history of racism. There are still some people who don't think it exists. How did we get here then? How did we get here to black people feeling so under, undervalued, so forgotten, so neglected in the community, both by policy, both by institution, and by people? Segregated forced out of their communities, once it becomes affluent enough, once a Starbucks comes. That's what happens. We can't fix a problem we don't understand. We can't fix a problem we continue to deny that it exists. Um, there was a really great New York Times article. Let me see if I can pull it up really quick so I can give this writer credit. It was a phenomenal write, uh, article. The title of it is called America, This Is Your Chance. It was written, published June 8th, which is today, by Michelle Alexander. And in this, she talks about how our democracy is hanging in the balance. And I'll repeat some of the points that she made in that article because I thought it was brilliant. Um, in part of this conversation. One was the need to confront our racial history to understand the path that led to where we are today. Specifically, 
uh, as it pertains to black people, that we've atoned, we've made reparations to every other group but black people. In a sense, we've recognized this was wrong and this is what how we show we're sorry and we're going to atone for that somehow. And this is, I think, contributed to the loss of income, the gap in economic equality that we see because every other group had some sort of reparation, some sort of a financial or economic opportunity as a result. And they didn't. Black people didn't. They weren't allowed to own homes. On top of that, they were overly taxed if they if they were able to get a, a home. And on top of that, they weren't allowed to, to live in the districts and the areas they wanted to. You tell me, is that race related or is it just because they didn't like the person? This leads to a loss of wealth in your family. But the loss of property also means, so that loss there also means a loss of property. Loss of home ownership, which is one of the driving factors of wealth accumulation in the United States. Because not only are you owning your own home, but then if you choose, you can then rent it if you want to buy another house. You can make money off of your home. And so the author of that article states that we can't continue to deny people of color, black people, uh, that racial injustice exists and that we must study the cycles of oppression and resistance. And this is something that I think is long overdue on a greater scale, above and beyond just showing a Roots movie in school or Eyes on the Prize. Both great. Both absolutely must watches if you are an American. But it's not enough. We have to do more. We have to be able to reimagine justice. Because the reality is the justice system is functioning by design. As it's intended. People say the system's broke. I always say system's broke, system's broke, because I don't think the system's fair. I think the system is rigged. Not in my favor, not in black people's favor. My dad just got out of jail for two years for DWI. You know what this all started back down the road with was uh, he had a problem with alcoholism and he had a problem with writing bad checks because he's poor. Arguably, he should have had treatment 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Or another way, not just put into the criminal system so he can just learn how to be a better criminal. My dad's story is going to be in another episode, and I hope you guys tune in. But the criminal system is not right. And it affects black people disproportionately. I know we see these statistics, oh, most people in jails are white. Mm. I know people who have rich families. And I think this is also an economic issue, a class issue, because the people who can afford good lawyers, the people who can afford influence, they never see a jail unless they're really, really bad. But the justice system isn't working. 
And for black people, it is putting them in jail for minor petty crimes like drug offenses. There are still, I would say, thousands, and I don't know the number, of people, if not more, in jail still for weed. Petty weed. And now it's legal. Is that fair? Is it right? Something's wrong. So the justice system is functioning by design. And why are we still accepting it? Why are we still agreeing to it? Now we've seen in the, in the police uh, world advances in training, advances in wearing body cameras, things to combat the police brutality. But not, it's not working. It's still happening. And Minneapolis, where George Floyd was recently killed, prior to that, Minneapolis was looked at as a, it was held up as a progressive model because they, they've done the police training. They've done the increasing diversity hires. They've um, embraced community policing, which advocates for police policing areas and communities that they themselves are part of. They've even gone through implicit bias training, mindfulness training, de-escalation techniques. But none of that really addressed the root cause, which is that the criminal justice system gives police the ability to systematically harass and kill with impunity, and they are doing this time and time again to black people. We see it all over the country. We have the highest rate of incarceration in the world, the U.S. does. In the world. That's not how I want to be number one. And more than 95% of arrests are nonviolent for looting, or I'm sorry, loitering, fair invasion, theft, selling loose cigarettes in the case of Eric Garner, forgery in the case of Eric Floyd. Is this justice? I don't think so. Can't we design alternative approaches? Alternative approaches to poverty, to drug abuse, to mental illness, to trauma, to violence. How can we find a way to do less harm for those infractions than what's currently being done, which is police prisons, jail time, and lifelong criminal records. For those, some, there's a long overdue paradigm shift in our approach to race and criminal justice. We must, we must begin the process of racial reckoning. There's this book called uh, Rising Strong from Brene Brown. I love her. And in that book, she talks about three things. One is a reckoning, two is a rumble, and three is a revolution. And she uses those three in context of, um, with a reckoning, we often deny our stories. We often deny history, or we don't want to face it. We want to avoid it. We don't want to confront it. Don't want to look it directly in the eye. And that's the reckoning part is, are we willing to reckon with our history? And number two is the rumble. Are we really willing 
to own our story? Are we really, really willing to get down in there and say, this is mine. I'm ready to rumble with my story, with my ownership, with the way that I view things. This is who I am and this is what I'm willing to do and this is what I'm willing to fight for. Are we ready to rumble? And the third is a revolution. And that's coming to terms with the idea that we can defy our ending. That we can change the way that we engage with the world. That we can change the narrative that this is not how my story will end. I think we need that. Because where we're at now, black people are economically depressed, under overworked, underfunded, outtitled, outorganized from a systematic uh, governmental approach. They're outgoverned because whether it's in government or in corporate, they're not in positions of power or true decision-making authority on a high scheme level. Maybe they can make some decisions, but Look at the number of CEOs in Fortune 500 companies, CEOs, board members. How many are are in true positions of being able to enact large-scale change? True positions to be able to make those decisions to say, this is what we're going to do as an agency, as a unit, as a team. How many are in positions to truly help on a large scale? The ones that do, looking at Black Lives Matter movement, look at the NAACP and nonprofit organizations that are doing tremendous work, much needed work, but still underfunded, still not getting the, the type of funding that other organizations, American Heart Association, American Cancer so- Association, um, the Women's Fund, all great things. Don't want to defund those. But let's look at the amount of money we're donating towards black organizations, towards social justice. True. Because that affects a lot of people. As we can see now, a nation in, in crisis, a nation in peril, a nation that's hurting. We look at the outrage and, and this is what it looks like to want to be heard. This is what it looks like when they're suppressed and, and continually denied a voice, denied an opportunity, try to protest with the kneel. That didn't work. What will? I believe it's time that we put our focus towards hearing the Black voices of America, towards listening towards empowering. And I also believe that it's time to fight for economic justice. The black-white economic divide is as wide as it was 50, 70 years ago. And the same divide and conquer techniques are still being used. They're used to, being used to prevent multiracial alliances. How many times this past week have we had difficult discussions I've seen a lot of discussions about black people's mistrust of white people, of Latinos, Hispanics, right? 
Rightfully so. Rightfully so. This is not the time to get offended, people. This is a time to show that we care. Now is the time to show deep solidarity rooted in love, in areas of politics, in areas of economic opportunity, in areas of education. So what do I think needs to happen? I think it comes down to three things. One, our education of our political systems. We need to improve our political education as a people, period. Number two, I would like to see more black people in positions of governing authority in corporations and in government. I'm talking board memberships. I'm talking about top-level executive positions. I'm talking about elections. Talking about school boards. And number three, we need to work towards advancing black people's economic opportunity. Helping them get better jobs. Helping them get into industries of the future like technology. Helping them with professional development and career advancement opportunities and training. Those are what I think. Those are just some of my thoughts. I welcome your guys' conversation. I welcome understanding. And hopefully, oh, one other thing I want to point out. This is the last thing. One last thing I wanted to talk about is the topic of cancel culture. And there's been a lot of racist people who've been identified and are being called out, as, you, as they should be. The behavior should be called out. The behavior should be self-corrected. Police should have a, an, um, a policy that forces them to speak out against a fellow officer who is doing wrong. And specifically if it's due to race. But the whole cancel culture of let's destroy their business, let's not let them, I get that. I, I get not letting them make a profit off of, you know, black people if they're racist. But sometimes I think cutting people out means that we've accepted the fact that they can't change, that they can't experience a change of perspective. And I think that's not true. I think that there are many people who are racist who can change. My grandfather, as an example, I married a black man. I'm American Mexican. My family is traditional. Like before that, he had, my grandpa had black friends. The minute I brought my, my husband home and I was pregnant, so my, after my freshman year of college, yeah, my grandpa, we went at it. He's basically, he disowned me because he's a racist. He was. The minute it infiltrated his family, he was outraged. And then me, I, I disown you. You disown me. I disown you. It helps nothing. Right? You just kind of 
cut ties. Thank goodness when my son was born, my oldest son, John John, he came to the hospital and he held him in his arms. And for the first time, he was able to see himself in John John, of course. And he was able to have love for him in a way he didn't think he could. And it allowed him the opportunity to see my husband as a human. As horrible as that sounds because he didn't see it before. And now my husband is one of his favorite grandchildren. He changed. His heart changed. And I hope it doesn't force, I hope it's not only the case that you have to have a, someone of mixed race in your family to, for that to be the case, but I know that that's changed. And I believe when we can start seeing ourselves in other people who are different from us, maybe we can open up our hearts more and we can also change in areas that we all need to change, right? None of us is perfect. So I think counterculture is something that we should take a hard look at too. I'm not saying accept people who are racist, but I'm saying love wins. I believe this, love wins. And lastly, let me talk about leadership really quick because I think that we need better leaders. I think we need leaders who are willing to rise to this challenge of leading in a time when it may not be perceived as, I don't know the reasons why people don't want to say Black Lives Matter, other than if you're racist. You tell me. I don't know why people are afraid to support a cause that says we must end, bru- end police brutality. We must end systemic racism. Why? Why not? Why not? For those leaders, let's talk about Alexis Ohanian, Ohanian from Reddit, former founder and board member who's giving up his spot. Let's talk about The Rock, huge platform. Speaking out publicly, asking that same question, where is our leaders? Where are our leaders? If you're willing to rise to the challenge and engage in the difficult conversations and support movement, even, even after the initial roller coaster has passed, Are you still willing to help? Are you still willing to speak? Are you still willing to engage and make change on a long-term basis? If you are, even on a local level, you don't have to be in a position of power because that's, I think, what we do is we give away our power. It doesn't matter if your boss is supporting it, if your colleagues are supporting it, if your church is supporting it, if your uh, local government is supporting it, we still have power. How are we using it? For those of you willing to continue the conversations, continue the dialogue, come through. Come through. Ask your friends, come through. Ask your neighbors, come through. 
Ask your colleagues, ask your coworkers, ask your boss, come through. That's what we want. That's what I want to see come through. Let's focus on education. Well, at least this is my commitment. I'm going to con- commit to focusing on education, on the political spectrum, and on the psychological spectrum. I want to focus on seeing more minorities and specifically black people in positions of governing authority. I'm talking board memberships and I'm talking local government. And I want to see more black people become economically empowered, good jobs in future industries and good pay. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Tuesdays with Andrea. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you making the time to listen to mine. If you like this show and want to know more, check out TuesdaysWithAndrea.com or please leave a review on iTunes or drop a line in the YouTube comment section. Until next time, please stay kind in your mind, nice on the web, and stay hella hopeful in your heart.